right off the bat, Katina, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's good to be with you both today. Yeah, of course. You know, Boz and I were thrown around having a, a doctor on, and, and I was like, who should we have? Who should we have? And you popped into my mind, and I sent it over his way, and he's like, yeah, that's an easy yes. Let's go ahead and, and make that happen. So before we did this, I asked you to text me your bio, and I almost had to have a, an upgrade to my data plan on my phone because it was just <laughs> so much like accomplishments <laughs> and, and, and things that you've done. I was like, holy cow. So here's my really short synopsis of what is a profoundly long uh, resume list of credentials. This is just, correct me if I'm wrong, you're an anesthesiologist, married with six kids, husband is also a doctor, you've got one cat, two dogs, and a pony. Very important. (laughs) Uh, Three of your kids have their CrossFit level one, which is awesome. And totally awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's, you, that's sounds great. Like, sounds like you've got quite an age range because you said <clears throat> two of your kids are doctors. One's a neuroscience major and you've got everyone all the way down to a seventh grader. Right. So you have your hands full. You've we got a demanding a 17 job. 17-year spread. And 17 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, and, and a basically a farm going on with all the animals mm-hmm. and the ponies and the whole nine yards. So we got a whole bunch of great stuff to dive into you, dive into with you today. But before we go down that road, I just have to say, look, I've seen a lot of movies. I know that all the time people wake up during surgery, you know, and you're an anesthesiologist. <laughs> so what do you, what do you just clonk them back over the head? I mean, what's the protocol there? I always say everything went well and you're doing <laughs> fine. And then I push more drugs. <laughs> okay, there you go. Okay, perfect, perfect. Um, you know, there's so many different things, places that we could go to, but I'll tell you what, you, to let the people at home know before we clicked on the camera we had a quick little chat about some stuff that could be interesting and adrian you brought up something far more interesting than i ever um thought of yet so what why don't we start with that why oh first man right away? you want to you want to jump yeah, right man. in there i, well, I, I think it's going to spiral into so many different interesting <laughs> things i agree but i think honestly pat i'd like to start a little bit more low speed okay all right. and Katina, I know that you've been involved with the CrossFit community for a long time. Um, you know, obviously, if you've got three kids that have their level one, this is a big part of your whole family's life. So uh, why don't you start by just kind of letting the listeners know how you came to get involved with CrossFit mm-hmm. and yeah. um, why, why you still are? Okay, so the journey began in the early 2000s, and it started with my husband. And he came home. He was so excited. He said, there's this new workout and it's called CrossFit and you're going to love it. There were no gyms near our house. I mean, it it was, it was a void. And so he he brought home basketballs, filled them up with sand. He had PVC pipes lying around the house and he'd go to the track. And, you know, I'm still in the midst of, of childbearing. And so we have five kids at the time and I'm, I'm not ready for anything that's organized, but he, he soldiers on and about 2008, he drives me by this location and he says, look, this is going to be the new gym where we're going. They're opening it up. And I'm like, oh, really? And there's nothing to see. You know, it's like a warehouse. And that was CrossFit Dallas Central. <laughs> so he started going there with two or three of our kids, depending on the day. And they had a CrossFit kids class. And so. And, and is that is that with Spencer and uh, Sammy Nix? That was Spencer and Sammy. And oh, Jesus. fantastic. You're great, great guys. guys. Yep. Very good. I, Spencer's yep. an L4. So yeah, they're yeah. the real deal. Um, 2011, 
I'm two years postpartum with our sixth child and I'm ready to get back into it. So I go to the CrossFit gym and they have a, an on-ramp class. And so I take it. I am woefully out of shape. I can barely do anything. Chase Ingram was my coach. And the big joke is when we got to the pull-up bar, it was him and Spencer and Sam trying to hoist me up to the bar because <laughs> it was miserable. But I kept at it and I'd go two or three times a week. Jim would watch all the kids and it just, it, it flowed. It made sense. Um, 2016, I said, I want to, I want to volunteer. I want to be a part of this. I want to go to the CrossFit games and, you know, see what it's all about. That was in Carson. It was phenomenal. I met David Hippensteel and he introduced me to his daughter, Heather, and then uh, Donna Aramo, and she, you know, was telling me about her daughter, Christy. And so I realized there was like this epiphany. I'm like, this is, this is for everybody. This is mm -hmm. a family oriented workout when you can be at the penultimate challenge CrossFit games and you have families, you know, you have mom competing and then her daughter's competing and dad's competing and his daughter's competing. And then I think Spencer Hendel, I think his dad was there that year too. So that was very eye-opening to me. Um, I continued my journey um, with volunteering for the games while I was working out and I went to Madison and there I met Karen Thompson. She said, we're starting this thing called CrossFit Health. She goes, come to dinner, meet Greg, see what you think. I was blown away. I thought I was going to impress him with what I knew about nutrition. Oh my gosh. I'm so embarrassed now to think about the things that I said, but what I realized is I have a lot to learn here. So CrossFit health started, they encouraged everybody, Hey, you know, come get your L1. And I thought, well, I'm not going to be coaching. Why do I need an L1? It was the best thing that I had ever done. Um, CrossFit in a hundred words became like, the Bible to me, and it all made sense. And I also realized how little as a physician I knew about the human body and how much CrossFit had to teach. So fast forward, I, you know, attended the CrossFit health meetings. They called them the derelict doctors club, met a lot of prolific writers on health, listened to their talks. Um, listen to them argue with each other, realize that there was a lot to unpack, a lot to learn, but that you couldn't take science for what it was. You had to dig deeper. And so that was huge. Jim and I got our L2 together and I said, awesome. oh my gosh, you can't stop at the L1. I don't care if you're going to coach or not. You need to go through and get your L2 as well. So your L1, your L2 are sort of like that you have to do it. I tell everybody that and everyone looks at me like, are you sure? Yes, I'm 100% sure. You'll learn, you'll learn the movements, you'll learn cues, you'll learn how to spot the flaw. It's, it's phenomenal. And so that's sort of where I'm at. And I'm still volunteering at the CrossFit Games. I volunteer at the Rogue Invitational. I swear live and die by CrossFit um, because it works. It absolutely works. Well, so, that's why yeah. we have you here. And yeah, I know absolutely. that you and I crossed paths at countless of those derelict doctors, you know, conventions, clubs, and meetings, if, if you want. And the CrossFit Health stuff was was phenomenal. Yes. Uh, I want to ask you, what do you mean, in case it, just the viewers or listeners at home were, were shocked to hear you say it, 
whether you meant it literally or figuratively, just unpack it a little bit, especially coming from somebody as well educated and spent so much time in the medical field as yourself to make that statement that, you know, you have that meeting with Greg, you go to an L1, which, you know, let's be honest, you can read critiques online, right? What do you, it's two days. What are you going to get out of a two day course? You can't possibly learn any <laughs> two days. Look, I have a 400 page textbook. I had to read five of them. You got blah, 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 blah. And then here you are, you go through this and, you know, you made some statement of paraphrasing that you were shocked about how little you knew about the human body or, or health. You know, you said something to that phrase. What did you mean by that? And, and why, why did that leap into your head? So, so the L1 offers so much that you don't know. And the very first thing is, what is fitness? Mm. And, and when you really think about it, most of us, in, unless we do CrossFit, we don't have a definition of fitness or not one that, that has any validity. And so then you get into, well, you have to measure. And, and then you think, well, how do I measure fitness? You know, is, is it my 100 meter dash time? Is it my mile time? Is it how much I can deadlift? Mm-hmm. And in the L1, you learn how to put this all together. You learn about, you know, the different energy systems. And it's, I'd never thought about fitness in that way. And nobody had. I mean, well, Greg really started that. Well, what I think is so interesting about this, and as if it's not apparent to everyone, let me make the statement I am not a physician. But you just I play think, one on TV. I just play one on TV. <laughs> I, I interview them for a living. What, <laughs> What I think as a civilian looking into the medical field, from my perspective, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I get the sense, piggyback, backing off of what you just said, with everything that you've done, everything that you've learned in academia, doing this for a full-time profession, you go to this thing, it reshapes some of the things you thought you did or didn't know about the human body, health, fitness, the whole nine yards. I think society in general... <clears throat> sees somebody in in the white coat, sees the doctor in the white coat, and they think that this human being is an all-knowing, living, breathing encyclopedia of every single bit of knowledge of the human body, health, wellness, diet, nutrition, lifestyle, everything. And, and their word is God, you know, and you must have learned every single bit of these nuanced details in medical school because it's this mysterious thing that you go to when you come out, you know everything, you know. And so I think I think people in general put a very unfair burden, quite frankly, mm. on medical professionals to literally have every answer about everything relating to health and fitness. And I don't think that's fair or accurate. So I guess my follow-up question would be, do you have a sense of, what are some things maybe that you, you know, I'm sure you get a lot of questions from patients and you hear other doctors getting questions. Are there some general things that everyone just must assume that you get in medical school, but you don't get? And, and maybe one of those topics is a healthy diet or something like that, or how to work out. You know, what is what are the common mistakes? It's like, yeah, everyone thinks that we have a class in this, but we don't. So the medicine that we learn in medical school, it's very reactive. And we're treating you after you come up with your disease or your in injury. And what we really want to do is preventative medicine. Mm. Everyone should learn preventative medicine first, because I don't really want to see you once the floodgates have been open. I'd like to, you know, put a, put a thumb in the dike before the, the dam opens. Mm -hmm. um, 
So that that was huge. It's just learning all the preventative measures. Um, it's not necessarily lifestyle you're learning. You're learning what happens after the fact. Exactly. Exactly. And all they all, basically all they say is, well, you need a better diet and exercise. And then, well, what is a better diet? Right. Right. Exactly. And in the medical community, a better diet is a low fat diet. Mm-hmm. Period. End of story. We don't really care about anything else, just that it's low fat. Interesting. So, how helpful is that? Sure. Yeah. It it kind of sounds like that line that I might mess up that Greg used to say all the time, because you're saying it's reactive, that um, it was the lifeguard versus the swim coach, right? right? That the mm-hmm. physician was the lifeguard. You're already drowning. They'll jump in and save you. But what you needed was a swim coach to teach you to however have avoided that situation, putting yourself in peril in the first place. Right. And so largely the lifeguard scenario, it does seem to be an accurate one. And, and I think what Greg's vision was, was to train the lifeguard in the ways of the swim coach so he could identify mm-hmm. what, what was coming in the future and, and place you with that swim coach. So you didn't need the lifeguard. That was, mm-hmm. that was the idea. Um, yeah. Or, or at least, uh, you know, maybe to speculate a little bit, at least arm the, to, to extend the analogy, the, the lifeguard with something to do with that person after they have been quote unquote saved, you know, after that interventionary moment, what happens next? And to draw kind of a parallel, I, I used to get really frustrated with physical therapy as a field, just people I knew in that field and just watching it. And, and you know, they're very interested in taking somebody who is hurt and bringing them back up to baseline but once they were at baseline, it's like, well, you're on your own. Good luck. We're done. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And I always thought that was just the strangest thing to, to say, okay, that's it. See you later. And best of luck in the wide world out there. So <laughs> I, 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 to me, I think I agree that that seemed to be Greg's strategy um, in that. And, and hopefully, you know, empower people to offer something beyond. All right, we've pulled you out of the drink. Now, where do you go from here? Um, right. I, can you speculate? And, and maybe this is an unfair burden, <laughs> as Pat said, uh, to, to kind of have you speaking on behalf of physicians everywhere. But I'm really curious, like, how did we collectively get to this point where we started viewing the doctor, the, the person in the lab coat as as more than this interventionary force? And, and really, you know, I agree with Pat that I think the public perception is that this individual has the keys to the kingdom. And it's quite clear that in many regards, they don't. They can help in these very specific scenarios. And and thank goodness for that. However, they don't have this broad ranging uh, expertise that can help you pass that. And so I guess I'm just kind of curious, do you have any any thoughts as to how we, we got here? Like how did we start to put such importance on the physician as primary source of all health knowledge? Well, the physician is the gatekeeper and the physician holds the keys to the pharmaceutical kingdom. And everyone wants a pill as a solution for their problem. And when you have a gatekeeper, the only person that can write for that pill, prescribe that pill, then that person becomes very important in your medical journey. I'm not going to say in your health journey, but in your Mm. medical journey. And so I feel like people 
thought, well, the doctor knows what's best. He knows what to prescribe. He knows how to prescribe it. And there's a reason behind that. And that's because the pharmaceutical companies have put so much money and effort into educating physicians on their particular drug. And, and on top of that, and I've, I'm certainly not trying to stand up for big pharma, but <laughs> do you think, is there two sides to that? Cause here's my, I could have a glass half full or a glass half empty uh, view on, I'm going to say just American society, but maybe this relates to the world. So here will be my glass half empty view on American society. Is it also fair to say like, as a, as a, let's say that you are a physician and you actually know the good stuff. You actually know how somebody should eat and you know what they should do to move. And I can, Hey, we can actually really start to move the needle for you in a meaningful direction. And somebody's like, great. And you're like, and you know, maybe you would word it better, but at the end of the day, it's going to be hard work and discipline and sacrifice and saying no to certain things that you've been saying yes to for years. And that might, it might be unpleasant for quite some time and you're going to have to do it for a very long time. They're like, ah, I'm out. Do you have a pill that I can take <laughs> instead? I mean, is that a, and I can see how doctors eventually are like, well, I'm not even going to have this conversation for the thousandth time because everybody, when they come back, sure. they didn't do it anyway. So here, take this down to the pharmacy. Good luck to you. Okay. So I've been there. I've done this. And for every 10 people that you say that to, two people will try it. One person might stick with it for mm. a year or two. And depending on how intent they are, one person might continue. Mm -hmm. And it is daunting. It is. Absolutely. Is. I, can, and, I believe it. Yeah. But I keep trying because when you do capture that one person, it's worth it. Sure. It feels so good. And you feel like you've been there aha moment. But yeah, I mean, most people want a pill. I, I would have to assume that's so maddening, frustrating. I don't know what the right word is. I mean, I, I assume most people go into medical school and, and put themselves through what they put themselves through to because they have somewhere in them a, a profound desire to try to make a difference and truly help somebody. And if you actually know what somebody needs to do and you just watch every person not do it, uh, I can't imagine the frustration of that. Have you, after so many times, I don't know, found any way of, of, of describing it, of linking the benefits, of somehow instituting a higher degree of compliance? Or is it totally just it's still at best just a one in 10. Doesn't matter how I present it to them. Doesn't matter if I try to scare them. Doesn't matter if I try to go positive. It's still just a swing and a miss. Who knows? So I think what I've learned is that I will assist them with a pharmaceutical. And here's how I say, I say, look, I know that you want to lose weight. You've told me you want to lose weight. You're ready to make that commitment. I said, it sounds like that you want a little help. So here is a medication that's going to help you as you make your permanent lifestyle changes. And you have to be really intent sure. about it and uh, you have to want to do it. Here's my cell phone number. If you struggle at any point, text me. I'll help you. And I've had I've had people take me up on that. And they'll, you know, they'll text me. I'm at a restaurant. What do I order? Oh, that's great. I'm like I'm like send me the menu, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know. Um I... That sounds like you're a unique doctor. I want to try to make a difference. 
but it's hard. Yeah, I don't yeah, I mean, I know if physicians are regularly giving out the numbers. That's phenomenal. And I also have to think that, you know, you are walking the walk and talking the talk at the same time. You're not a physician, I might get hate on this for the internet, walking in that they themselves are 150 pounds overweight talking to you about lifestyle intervention. There's a there's right. a little bit of a of a of a credibility mismatch there. You know, whereas if you know you can tell somebody like, hey, I I live this life that I'm prescribing to you i can i've been there i've had you know the cravings or whatever and had to make a different decision so uh, i think that i think the credibility goes a long way and i have to think that you know i don't know how you're you are amongst your peers if all the physicians there are into eating well and doing squat cleans and sprinting at the track and all of that or if that's or if you are a bit of the oddity that oh there's there's katina bringing her own lunch again you know you know, the weirdo not going to eat in the cafeteria with the rest of us. I mean, how is, is, is that, am I somewhat there accurate? Is a, there is a little bit of that. Yes, <laughs> you're actually really accurate about that. Um, but here's, here's the fun thing. So my husband, Jim, uh, works at UT Southwestern the Medical School in the Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery Department. He brings the residents over regularly. They work out in our garage. You know, we have a- Oh, that's great. Gym. Yes. And that's cool. And they come over at, you know, on their own, in their off time, and they want to hit it. And one resident I'm thinking oh, of I in particular. It. Yes. He, uh, he does BJJ. And he's like, I thought I was fit. He's like, this is another level. And he comes. He comes regularly every day that he can. And that's great. You know, to, to kind of extend Pat's thought a little bit to be charitable. Uh, well, or maybe you did the, the glass half full or empty, Pat. I'll, I'll try to go with the glass okay. half full here a little bit. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, I think that most people get into a profession like that to help people. And I think that, you know, honestly, modern medicine is a miracle in many cases. You know, there have been things that would be mass killers that now are solvable with the drug. Like, I think mm -hmm. you have to take that with it, right? Like there is a very positive aspect to that. However, comma, I feel um, personally that what we've kind of walked ourselves into is like, look at this great advancement. And I can no longer admit when something is outside my scope of expertise or the scope of what this thing can do. And nobody wants to admit that and say, hey, you know what? I don't know that much about lifestyle and exercise, but what I can do is intervene on your behalf when you have a heart attack, for example. You know what I mean? Um, and so to me, I think that's part of it as well, is that you have a lot of well-meaning people that they might just be overstepping their scope to some degree. Uh, and then they're almost forced to speculate on something that they're not that grounded in. And that's where you start to get this little, to use your term, Pat, a little bit of a mismatch there. Is that, is that accurate? Do you, do you think that that's a fair read? Oh, absolutely. I do. I do think that's a fair read. And, you know, we are able to do a lot, but absolutely, it's, it's, it, most of it is after the fact. And so right. if you don't want to get to that point, if you don't want to be at the specialist uh, getting your heart stent, you got to start early. And, it, you know, it seems like 50 is kind of a magical age where things start to catch up with you and then it snowballs at, from there. So it, if we you can, hear that, Pat, get ready. I was going to say, I'm knocking, I'm knocking on that door. I think I'm a little early, by the way. It's already happening. But if, if we can intervene early, there are so many people that would never get there and they wouldn't need that, that extra care. But I mean, just exercise alone, ask a physician what exercise you should do. 
most of them don't know. I mean, they just know, well, you know, 30 minutes of aerobic activity. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, is that 30 minutes on the treadmill at, um, you know, three miles per hour? What is that? Mm-hmm. And what's it yep. going to do for you? <clears throat> yeah. No. Okay. Oh, good. Well, Pat, I was going to say I'm ready to get to my well, low ball question. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got one more thing before that. I, okay. A couple things. But they're, they're smaller things. Yeah. You know, I think what's interesting, I'm going to try to tie all this together is, you know, when we do these MDL1s or have these, the, the derelict doctors clubs or whatnot, there's inevitably every now and then, everyone's there, they're on the same sheet of music, they get it, they see the problem, they see the solution, maybe they're dealing with some sort of uh, regulations at their hospital that, that, that prevents them from, I don't know, prescribing something that is a different style of diet, whatever it happens to be, you know, they can't, they can't say that, oh, you just injured your knee. Let me tell you about squatting, like, you know, whatever it happens to be. And I always felt like the physicians in the audience would always ask, like, hey, what's, what's this thing that we're going to do that's going to swing the pendulum in the other way? And everyone will have this aha moment at every medical facility around the world. And there'll be a gym in there with a squat rack and people are doing whatever. And Greg always used to say that, at least in his opinion, there wasn't going to be this single mass conversion event. It was going to be, you know, wh- exactly what you and Jim are doing. You bring a few folks to your home, you work out, they see it. How do you eat? Oh, this makes sense. Hmm. You look different than most other people I see. What do you and your husband do? This is what we do. Ah, they adopted and it was going to be this slow, this slow trickle, but to have that slow trickle, and maybe you're getting them young. You're getting the residents. That's probably a smart thing. <laughs> but you you have to be open to a new idea. You have to be open to what I've held as truth for decades. Maybe it isn't. That is something easy for people to say. Like, oh yeah, I love new ideas. Mm, uh, you know, I don't know if it's been your your assessment that doctors have egos, but you know that can be a <laughs> that, no, can no. Be a, that can be a heck of a thing to deal with. And what I really liked was. At one of the, um, I think only a couple CrossFit health conferences happened, like maybe two, I can't remember. But anyway, at one of them, what I liked was you have an audience full of doctors, right? So full of potential robust egos. Now they're sitting in the audience, so they're they're willing to hear something. I can't remember who it was, so I can't give them credit. But this other doctor, you know, got on stage and he had this great, just like icebreaker to let everyone know like, hey, relax let's all not try to outdo each other. What's your specialty? This is my specialty. And he was like, remember when you were a kid and you saw an adult and you're like, wow, an adult, they know everything. Can't wait till I'm an adult. I'll know everything about the world. Then you become an adult and you're like, "Mm, wow, that's a lie. I don't, I don't know anything. And then adults (laughs) look at doctors and they go, wow, a doctor, they know everything. He goes, then all of us became doctors. And we went, oh, wow, there's so much we don't know. And everyone in the room had this collective like, ah, yeah, that's true. He goes, okay, great. So let's talk in this in this open air of realizing that we actually don't know everything. There are good ideas out there. So that being said, have, are you able to have these conversations with other seasoned doctors and physicians that are, and are they open-minded to what you're saying, even if it sounds like witchcraft compared to how they've been doing business for 25 years. You know what? So it depends. Some are very ingrained in their beliefs because 
they have been taught that they've read the textbooks that solidify that and it's been hammered home and they're unwilling to change and most of them are 60 plus mm-hmm. but the residents and the young physicians they're 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 pliable they're they're ready they're re- they're receptive to new information and especially if they see that it works right and and so that to me that's the target audience i've i've given up on the the ivory tower um, mm-hmm. Jim and I have tried so many times. I mean, Greg was going to give a, a fitness gym to UT Southwestern mm. just to get the, the residents and physicians moving. And we tried and tried and we were met with, no, you know, we don't, we don't want that. And, you know, what is CrossFit and it's commercial. And mm-hmm. so I, I really threw up my hands and some of these were people that I knew too, unwilling Mm. to, to try it. And so I realized that the change is going to happen. The receptiveness is going to happen from the younger physicians. And when I go, when I went to the derelict doctors club, most of the physicians are younger. They're starting out their careers, you know? So there, there are people growing up who to them working out is sled pushes and kettlebell swings and burpees. Like the, even what they see in TV and commercials is different. What they see on YouTube yes. is different They're What they think of as fitness is different. You don't have to switch them. They're already like, of course you would do a rope climb. Who wouldn't do a rope climb? It's like, that's not always how it was. Yeah. Never. Yeah. The paradigm has shifted significantly. Yes. Yeah. yes. Well, hopefully, yeah, I, hopefully that helps. And I agree. I think that, you know, if you take a look, at so many movements, not just in fitness, but regardless of what your kind of bent is, I suppose, uh, I think more often than not, where you're going to see the most progress is from these kind of grassroots things that take hold at the individual level. And then sooner or later, there's enough people doing that, that it just becomes status quo. I don't think that there's a lot of, um, you know, obviously I haven't had the same experience as you trying to put these things in motion and be met with that kind of resistance. Um, But just observing that happen in different institutions, it seems that top down implementation rarely works in a situation like this. So it's, (laughs) it has to be like an insurgency. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Get people doing it, get them soaked on it. And, you know, it does create a ripple effect. You know, that one resident that comes and is stuck with it at your garage undoubtedly has a friend that's like, Hey, what are you doing? You're you're a little bit, you got a little bit more pep in your step these days. You're a little leaner, you're a little faster. What are you doing? I want to do it too. Or that one in 10 patient that does stick with the, uh, the guidance that you've given them, undoubtedly their friends and family start to take notice and one in 10 of them may pick it up and run with it. And and that ripple effect hopefully continues for some time. And, And I think that's kind of the hidden, um, benefit that's not as easy to quantify sometimes. Well, it's hard to kill too because it's the truth. Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah. it's tough to keep the truth quiet. It keeps pecking, uh, poking its pesky head up, right? I mean, functional movements work. Intensity works. Like eating the way we prescribe works. Like you you can ignore it for a while, but again, you're going to have people do it. And when you ask them, "What do you do?" Wow, big change over the last six months it's most likely not going to be, I've been eating a ton of sugar and I have a sedentary lifestyle. Like it's, it's going to be <laughs> something like, it's just going to keep coming back up. So you can try to ignore it. And again, it may take years, but 
it's it's going to come around just because the darn stuff works, quite frankly. Yeah. And you know, the proof is in the pudding. When you go to a CrossFit box, there are families there. I mean, you see moms and dads and, you know, kids. I mean, they're there. They're there. <clears throat> they may not even be there at the same class. They may go at different times, but there are a lot of family memberships at, at these gyms because it does work. And you see your spouse or, you know, your son or your daughter and, hey, you're in great shape. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. You, want, yeah. you want to be a part of it. Yeah, You know, it's no, funny. My, my wife's uh, litmus, anytime we go drop in at a CrossFit affiliate when we're on the road or something, or, you know, we just moved a few years ago. So you're kind of hunting for a new uh, home affiliate. And she's like, you know, this is my litmus. You step into the gym. You should see old people. You should see some babies running around. And a bonus if there's a dog in the mix somewhere. She's like, <laughs> check those boxes. Like, I know they're doing it right. <laughs> like, right. that's the formula right there. <laughs> Yep. So, Absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. a staple of the old is. school box, the dog. Yes, yep. it's for yep. the whole family. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, so, all right. So one thing that I have observed over the years, and I don't understand it, um, like I just, I just don't get it. It seems to me that there's this old trope that comes up anytime you have somebody who starts doing CrossFit and they go to their doctor and their doctor says, oh, you know, that stuff, will, that's dangerous. You got to watch out for it, blah, blah, blah. And in my mind, it seems like many physicians are willing to downplay this long, drawn-out metabolic catastrophe while at the same time really overstating the possible uh, orthopedic downside to something like this. Why, why do you think that is? You know, it's so interesting. Why are physicians so fearful of movement and the possibility of an injury from moving? Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. don't understand it. It makes no sense at all. Um, they're functional movements, right? Movements that we do every day, squatting, pressing, lifting. It, it boggles the mind. So, I've had, you know, there's a neurosurgeon that lives on our street and Jim and I are like, hey, come out, come work with that, you know, work with us in the gym. And he's like, "Um, you know, that's dangerous. And it's like, no, it's not dangerous. Not doing it is what's dangerous. And, and, you know, it's okay. Quantifiably. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I mean, I would much rather have good metabolic health and I'll, I'll risk an overuse injury. Um, sure. Because I could get that at doing anything or doing nothing. And you, well, maybe, maybe to be charitable, it, like to me, is it just a basic psychology thing? I guess I wrestle with this a lot. I'm like, I get it. You know, if somebody's going to develop something like type two diabetes or, you know, many of these other kind of metabolic dysfunctions, it's going to play out over decades. And so the human psychology is poorly equipped to kind of see that. Because there's no acute moment, you know, and so I, maybe that's it. There's just more weight to that acute, like, well, you pick something up wrong and you got a little tweak because of it. I don't know if that overweights it, but it's just, uh, I, I just can't get my head around how somebody could knowingly understand where that path leads and still downplay it in the face of like, well, you know, you could roll an ankle. I think it's like you said earlier, it's outside their scope. Yeah, well, and that I think, Adrian, you're right. I think maybe the slow, insidious onset sort of it it takes it away from the, the root cause in activity. 
And so it's not really related to that. And, oh, it was just your genetics. You were meant to you know, mm-hmm. be diabetic because your mom is diabetic. Mm-hmm. And oh, man, what a horrible fate to cast on somebody. That's just. Oh, I uh, know. I yeah. know. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I, I do I, hear that a lot. I would also mm-hmm. think, you know, I would just guess that, you know, you said a lot of it is reactionary medicine, correct? I mean, so if somebody, if a doctor or physician or orthopedic surgeon does see somebody because of exercise, it's not because of something good. You know, they see probably on a routine right. basis what went wrong. And so another so-and-so related to deadlifting. So they just fill in the blank that I'm sure after a while, their index in their head just immediately goes to, well, that's an injury waiting to happen. That's an injury waiting. I see it all the time. It's like, well, yeah, you see it all the time. You, you're a physician in Los Angeles where there's millions of people coming in on a regular basis. Like, but this is not a common place. And I think you have got your mm-hmm. your numbers. It's like, for example, probably ask any physician in a major city, are motorcycles safe or dangerous you're going to get a you know you're going to get a very without question they are you know they are dangerous bosman's driving them they're safe if i'm driving them they're dangerous you know so it just depends <laughs> upon it depends upon what happened but i have you know my all my personal story from this is you know way back in the year 2000 i broke my pelvis and i've got plates and screws holding that together and every now and then i would go back in for a, a checkup just you know to make sure that everything's how it should be. And I would never, ever, ever tell the doctor what I was doing for exercise ever until after they just ranted and raved about how great I was doing because their average person did nothing. And I'm squatting and deadlifting and running and sprinting and doing box jumps. So they do their range of motion. You'll press against my hand, do this. And they're always like, wow, like see these every now and then you're doing so well, like keep it up. And I was like, okay, so you're happy with whatever I've been doing is, is good. They're like, absolutely and i'd be like well just so you know squat as heavy as i can i deal it all of a sudden they're like oh don't boy what what i did there you shouldn't do any of that i was like i was like pause for a second but that's what's got me here pause for a second you just said i look markedly different in a better way than most people you see come in with this injury at this period of time and i'm doing different things and before you knew that, you thought it was great. And now you don't. Does that seem weird in your brain? And they'd be like, ah, like it would cause them physical anguish. And you could see smoke coming out of their ears. And they'd be like, well, just be careful. <laughs> and I was like, okay, fine, I will. But I think that's, it's funny because I've lived that life of, of the injury. And, and when they don't know what I'm doing, they think mm-hmm. it's phenomenal. And as soon as I tell them, they're scared out of their mind that I'm going to come in on a stretcher in two weeks. You know, it's just, it's just one of those things. You know, I spent three years um, from 2016 to 2019 doing anesthesia for orthopedic sports injuries and spine, spinal anesthesia. I did not have one patient that did CrossFit, but I had a lot of patients that tripped over their dog or fell off the ladder or you know, tripped walking into the house. And mm-hmm. so, you know, what, what's more dangerous? I, I feel like inactivity and uh, not doing the functional movements so that you can stay active and attend your activities of daily life. That's the dangerous. And, and yeah. not to get on a soapbox, but like falls in general, but then let's go falls with old people. And how many injuries and surgeries those go to. And, and that's a population that most people would be like, hey, I've, 
got my 65 year old uh, mom out back. I'm going to get her deadlifting. Doctor, oh my, what? No, but, <laughs> no. But exactly the sort of person. It's like, okay, so you want me to keep this person who's north of 60? You want me to keep them frail and weak? You don't want me to have them do functional moves, which, by the way, they can't avoid in life, picking things up. They can't avoid squatting. They can't avoid any of these things. You don't want me to get them on the ground doing burpees and stuff. Like All of these things, heaven forbid, they do lose their balance because they shuffle their feet and they don't pick it up enough. Would I rather have this person start plummeting towards the ground on a frail frame or one that has strengthened and strong and is used to doing push-ups and might be able to brace and actually then get themselves back up. Like it's an, the easiest decision in the world for me. It's like, right. I, but I think sometimes people who don't know strength and conditioning, who don't know cross, who aren't coaches themselves, somehow when I say this person north of 60 is going to be squatting or deadlifting, they somehow think that means they're going to do it in a reckless fashion above and beyond what their limits or potential are at a pace that's unreasonable. It's like, well, no, no, we never said any of that. We're going to have them do these wonderful movements at whatever pace is appropriate for them at whatever loading with appropriate rest. And we're, we're going to prepare them for human life on planet earth. We can't change the demands of life. We can at least make them a bit more resilient and do some, some balance drills, some coordination, some walking, because again, we just stop training those coordination, accuracy, agility components. And as people age, I mean, those just go down in the toilet along with the strength. It's like, well, they're north of 60. Don't do anything complicated with them. Don't really tax their central nervous system. It's like, well, of course we have a bunch of overweight, frail individuals that are just an accident and a surgery waiting to happen. Like, of course it's a health crisis, but you know, I've just got a sociology degree. What do I know? <laughs> and and what happens at age 40 and beyond? We lose muscle mass and we lose bone density. And if you don't do anything to prevent that or retard it, mm-hmm. you are going to be frail. And so the the target audience should be 40 and older, honestly. I mean, mm-hmm. young people, they, they always get a free pass. I mean, it's fun for them. They get to be in shape. But when, once you're 40 and older it's life-changing mm-hmm. and so that is the most important audience yeah it's um and and rewarding you know challenging but also rewarding your and your fear trainer and that was one of the most amazing things and you probably see it far more than i do that when we did have these you know crossfit health conferences the ddc's and we you know, started talking to the target audience getting in older folks heavier folks folks that have been neglected so to speak and there were so many conversations I had with people north of 60 years old that would start to learn something similar to a burpee. You know, it may not look like they're jumping down. We're just right. talking about get yourself on the ground and get up. Put your hand on your knee, grab a piece of furniture, get on the ground and get up. And then the question would you know, come at whatever appropriate time it was before they did that. Like, hey, when's the last time that you voluntarily proned yourself out on the ground and got up? And there was multiple people that had heard say like, well, it's been over 10 years. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. wow. A, that's crazy. B, it's yeah. totally believable. But C, you're an accident waiting to happen. You know, we're like we, you, you need this in your life. You shouldn't even want you like you need this. Like you, the, and if you're popping a pill because you decided not to take the hard work route, that pill maybe will, one of your health markers will improve potentially. But the slip and fall hazard, you have done zero for that. That only comes 
with the hard work and some sweat coming down your brow, you know, and that's, I guess that's what we hope is happening with people marching into affiliates all around the world or, or hearing podcasts like this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you well, said, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Buzz. No, Katina, I was just curious, you know, you you seem to be so open. Um, you mentioned earlier, you, if you have people that do have interest, you know, you're willing to extend in such a personal way that they can reach out to you. You're, you're willing to offer your free time. I mean, that's really commendable. A lot of people are, are not willing to do that. So I think that's awesome. Um, what advice do you have to people that want to, regardless of their position, but, you know, doctors in general, that want to take that next step? Like what, what are some tangible things that they can do to help to get that message out there or at least point people in the right direction if they don't feel that they can do it themselves? So we're saying that this person is already involved with CrossFit and they just, they want to get the message out or that they're trying to get involved with CrossFit. Um, I would say somebody who's already familiar um, and and they, they want to help people take that next step. Uh, but they're just not sure within the bounds of their profession how to do that. You know, it's funny. I feel like I meet so many people in the CrossFit space who do want to share. It's it's like, you know, you want to spread this this word to everybody because you know how beneficial it is and what it can do for a person's life. And I think that the best way to do that is to direct the person to the box that you're familiar with or a box that you know where they will get that personalized attention when they walk in the door. Um, I remember at CrossFit Dallas Central, if somebody came in the door, they were greeted with a smile and, hey, what's your name? And come on over here. And they were made to feel at home immediately. And so I think that that's, that's the way to do it is to have a partnership with you know the, the box owner or the coaches in the box and and feel free to send people to them because once they walk in, they know what to do. They, you know, the coaches know what to do. They're, they're so good with people. And yeah, uh, that was the hope, right? I mean, that was yeah. not to put words in, in Greg's mouth, but that was the hope and the vision that at least I feel like I heard communicated on several occasions was not only the, the professionalization of the trainer, but also in connecting with the medical community and aligning those two, you know, getting back to what we said at the beginning of this podcast, you learn what you learn in medical school, you know, you're, you're, you're at this person's life at a certain time. You've only got so many, so much time in your day with how many patients you have to see, like, you know, I'm sure that's, that's in and of itself is an entirely different discussion that having somebody, you know, Greg used to say like, how often do you see your doctor? Either a only if something goes wrong, be an annual checkup. Like, but if you're at a gym, you might see that trainer three to six times a week. Like the amount of personal touch that you're going to get, it's not even comparable over the course of a calendar year. So when you think about it, which one of those two is going to be able to keep you on track, keep you checked in, you know, get to know all the intimate details of your family, your wife, your kids, your hobbies, like invested in you in a way that's just not possible for your physician, your accountant, your, you know, whatever it happens to be, other professional. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people in the medical space didn't understand CrossFit or was the scary thing. And so if we could educate physicians, get more of them to level ones, get them to understand the methodology, have them living the life. Well, then in an ideal world, when they have this patient come in, I've got however much time I have with you here right now. We've got you bandaged up. That's all good to go. Hey, by the way, you've got some things to work on. There's a great gym down the road. The people there are wonderful. 
If you're asking for my unbiased opinion, I think you should go knock on their door, say hello, they'll take good care of you. And if we could join those two worlds, we'd have a really great symbiotic sort of relationship. And I think that was always the hope of what would occur by exposing the medical community and mass to CrossFit. So, and you've been an instrumental part of that from day one. So, you know, I, I truly appreciate what you have done and what you continue to do for the community at large, quite frankly. But I think any physician that takes the L1, I mean, everything in that handbook is irrefutable. And so it just naturally flows that you would be excited about it and want to share it. And I've met so many CrossFit physicians that we all share the same ideas and beliefs and everyone wants to help people. Mm -hmm. And so that's really a very beautiful thing. And when you have the tools to actually help them in a preventative way, you you really feel empowered. Well, maybe we can wrap this up with that. I don't know if a, a funny story is not the right word, but you you mentioned at the end a, a story that you've lived in you know in real life that I think other people have had this experience, but you at least have some insight or knowledge as a physician to ask some right questions or hit pause. So you mentioned. Uh, that you went in for like a wellness check, you got a liver function test, and this, you know, fitness was involved. So why don't you share that story? Because I think it's going to resonate with some people who have maybe been in a similar situation. So it was, it was after, it was three or four days after one of the workout of the days that involved high reps, um, I think body weight movements, and there might've been pull-ups and push-ups and something Murph-like. Mm-hmm. And I went and didn't really think much of it because it was three or four days later and had labs drawn and my liver function tests were elevated. And the physician looked at me like, I know you've been drinking a lot of alcohol and I, you know, I can see that your liver is suffering greatly and I, you need a liver consult and I'm going to schedule you for a sonogram. And I said, wait, wait, (laughs) I said, I think this is really just a manifestation of the workout that I did. And she's like, what what kind of workout are you doing that would do this? And I mm-hmm. said, well, you know, CrossFit. And she said, well, I've never heard of exercise affecting your liver function tests like this. And I said, well, it's in the literature. And um, so, <laughs> you know, and I w- of course I went home and um, I told my family and, you know, so there are some physicians in the family besides my husband and the the guys were like my sons. Well, mom, I've never heard of that. And I said, mm. really? I said, they don't teach that in medical school. And, and they said, no. And I said, okay, here, I'm going to send you the papers. And I did, but Interesting. yes, of course, the enzymes um, in the muscles that are released with, you know, muscle breakdowns from a workout can look like a liver function elevation. So sure enough, I waited five days and I didn't do anything and it was horrible not doing anything. And I redrew the labs and everything was normal. So, yeah, so that can, and that can happen to, you know, anybody that works out intensely with CrossFit. So yeah, be careful. You get your labs, you know, (laughs) you might get a funny look, but uh, just, you know, know that you can not work out for a few days and redraw them and everything's going to be okay. Well, at least you had the insider knowledge to uh, get yourself on the right track. And you got the, had the, the wonderful opportunity to educate a colleague. And they always That's appreciate right. that. Yeah, they do. They really appreciate it. What would have been really funny is if my LFTs were still elevated, but that's another story, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, again, oh. Oh, that's true. Oh, 
am i uh we just lost power can you stand by here like doing live television all right can you see me now <laughs> well i can't see you on the okay. uh oh, oh there you oh, go you're coming hold on. back stand by all the audio listeners aren't going to see it but the video people will that's cute your last name is shouting we have been we've lost power three times today and i was praying oh, wow. that during this show we wouldn't lose power so at least at least it was at the very well, end so i was gonna say we made it we made it pretty far so yeah it's pretty good. i'm gonna take that as a side so before it happens again just allow me to say very quickly katina thank you thank you thank you for not only just for the show but like i said you know you've been around the community for many many years and you are all in and it shows and we need and and you're in a pivotal position that you know that society looks up to and so your word carries a lot of weight so truly just thank you for what you're doing in the crossfit community and outside of it and i think that uh we can sign up for the open now isn't that right adrian that's right as of today yes yeah. so you can uh <laughs> you can commit <laughs> to that uh it's uh yeah I, I actually had a conversation with somebody yesterday they sent me a message and they're like i'm not emotionally ready to sign up for the open yet it's like seems so far away and i said no it's perfect you can sign up now and forget that you did throughout the holidays and then get your act together in in january so yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. or or hold yourself even more accountable by yes. signing up right uh, even better yeah. even better yeah. or i'll be i'll be part of the guilty mass that does it sometime during the last week it's like ah oh, geez all right fine let's do it it's, it's, oh it's tomorrow okay all right let's, let's, let's do this so again Thank you. Thank you very much. And for everybody out there, hope you enjoyed today's show. If you've got questions, I'm sure we, you know, we could have Katina on again, you know, so uh, people love to ask medical questions. So go to btwb.com, find the show, hit up the comments, let us know what's on your mind. Is there something we should have covered that we didn't? Or are you in the medical field as well? You've dealt with highs and lows, frustrations. We want to hear all that kind of a stuff. Sharing knowledge is just going to help everybody. So for Katina and Adrian, I'm Pat Sherwood, and we will see you next time.